Hey, everyone, and welcome to High Performance Pathways. I'm your host, Court Whitman. Today's show is sponsored by Big Sky Bravery. And if you've been with the show for a couple of minutes, you know about Big Sky Bravery, but since there'll be new folks checking in today because of the incredible guest I have, let me just spend a couple moments telling you about this wonderful organization. Big Sky Bravery, their mission is to provide high adrenaline recreational programming to active duty special operations forces as a means to improve their psychological and emotional well-being. You see, this company was founded by a man named Josh McCain, who had a brother-in-law who was in the Ranger Regiment, and he would come home from, you know, we're talking 1818 folks, different deployments, and, and Josh said, hey man, what is the Army doing for you to help you recharge and return to the fight? And the thought that came from his brother-in-law was kind of, well, you know, we've got a couple of marriage retreats and a few things, but Josh just felt like it wasn't meeting the need. And so we started this company and that's where he focuses time. It's out in Bozeman, Montana. If you want to learn more about Big Sky Bravery, go to bigskybravery.org. And I invite you to donate. If you can't donate, I invite you to write him a letter uh, and send that letter to Josh McCain at 215 Quail Run, Unit A, Bozeman, Montana, zip code 59718, because Josh will present this letter to a special operations veteran. Well, let me correct that, not a veteran. They're active duty service members, and they're going to read that thing while they're there on the retreat with Josh, and that's going to help them uh, just be inspired to return to the fight. Um, so give it a shot, y'all. I want to spend a couple of moments talking about the show here. Um, I know we're, this is episode... 41 folks season two 41 so if you've been with me for a minute you know what this show is all about but there'll be some new listeners uh today so high performance pathways what is it why did we do it simple it's a vision for me to connect with someone out there in the industry and have a one-on-one -on -one conversation um and, and begin to unpack and understand how does this individual discover come into awareness and chase high performance in their life this content we collect in that one-on-one -on -one environment, we record live and we share it directly with you. Why? Because I believe that everyone has a different path to high performance. And hearing about the paths that other professionals have journeyed along in their life, it's informative and I believe it inspires. So during each episode of High Performance Pathways, it's my intent as your host to do five things for you, the listener number one, connect. I'm gonna connect you to my guest and I'm gonna encourage you to reach out to them and build out your professional relationship. Number two, I'm going to ask questions so that together as listeners, we can understand. Number three, I'm going to share. I'm going to share some of my thoughts to increase perspective in this moment. Number four, I'm going to teach to increase your competence. And number five, I want to inspire with my guests some sort of a growth opportunity or some sort of an aha moment as you listen to this show. Like I talked about earlier, folks, it's raw. No super sweet music on this one for you. You know, we just rip it here live and record it and deliver it to you exactly as we laid it down. Now, let's talk about my guest, the whole reason why you're listening today. His name's Garrett Harrell. Let me talk a little bit about Garrett and his professional background, and then we'll kind of get into this content together today. So, first of all, I can tell you that Garrett's involved in a number of things. And let me just list out a few of those things. He is the president and principal consultant at Southern Cross Leadership Solutions. Garrett is also the president and co-founder for Harold Squared Consulting. And he works as a certified instructor in a resilience building leader program. 
Now, I want to highlight the work of Southern Cross because I don't know this to be true. We're going to figure this out together, but I believe this is kind of Garrett's signature line of effort at this moment in time. But let me tell you what Southern Cross Leadership Solutions is involved in. And, and let me just list a few things. Garrett helps organizations develop high-performance work teams by, number one, helping growth-minded teams identify and leverage their strengths-based and value-aligned competencies for greater success. Something that I believe a lot in if you know anything about my work. Number two, Garrett helps through this company to discover the importance of being individually sharp and pointy, casting away the desire to be well-rounded. You see, there's a focus on individual talents toward concerted balance, creating engagement that is transformational, not transactional. Number three, to increase collective impact and performance for overall greater satisfaction in both work and life, Garrett helps you in those areas. And finally here, uh, his intention is to help you become hyper-focused on the mission. And as I just listen to this invitation to be hyper-focused, I think about the first job that I had in tech, sports tech specifically when I got out of the military. And, uh, you know, we, the tech company started with a focus on pro sports, specifically football, the NFL, and college. And we began to say, hey, what are the sports? How about Major League Lacrosse? How about basketball, NBA? And the president came back and got us all together and basically said, hey, look, y'all, let's just focus. So it's important to focus. And ultimately, when we can do that, you can better accomplish the mission. I believe that. There's one testament for me. And this is kind of some of the ways in which Garrett helps others. Now, Garrett transitioned from active duty as a U.S. Marine in the private sector just this year. Uh, another reason why he's on the show, because you know I highlight the work of veterans. I think that our veteran community is an incredible gift to the private sector. And this is another example of that. Here is also a graduate of the Honor Foundation's transition program. And I encourage you to check out honor.org if you're someone in transition and you're looking for some transition support. And he continues to focus his time, he, Garrett, on you know, supporting veterans because he also serves as the director of recruiting and as the Raleigh Durham event organizer for Elite Meet and as a mentor for Operation Military Kids Club. I wasn't kidding y'all. I told you Garrett's into a bunch of stuff so there's a kind of highlights of what he's been up to. Um, Garrett's a lifelong runner. He's a graduate of Florida, the Gators, not to be confused with Central Florida, USF, Florida State. Um, Garrett made sure I was clear on that one, y'all. Um, with a BA in criminology, he has a MS in strategic leadership from the University of Charleston and an executive leadership certificate from Notre Dame. And at the moment is a candidate for the 2021 Tuck Next Step program at the Tuck School of Business at Dartmouth, which is an incredible program. And as I understand it, Garrett, you got accepted into that for the current year, but COVID kind of rolled it. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, that's correct. I was uh, already almost completely done with the non-resident portion this year when COVID struck and I was had my ticket and everything for, for New Hampshire and I had to cancel everything. Yeah, man, I know quite a few folks that have gone through that program. Um, a couple of names come to mind. Rob Lively went through, close friend of mine. Um, also had uh, John Mac McCaskill went through the program. So there's one Army dude, one, one Navy dude uh, to show the love across the, the spectrum. Don't know any Coast Guard guys yet that have gone through there. Um, but now we got a Marine. So cool. Hey, man, just want to say thanks, Garrett, for being here today. Um, I think there's a lot that folks can kind of learn. Um, perspective that you have to share about your time in service, about your transition out to the private sector, and really just in my opinion, uh, a journey through life chasing high performance. So thanks for being here, man. 
No, thank you. I, uh, I really appreciate the time court. I'm, uh, it's an honor to be, uh, I've, I've been a listener of the podcast. So I know the, the, the quality of the individuals that you bring on. So just to be on the list with everyone, it's, it's an honor to be here. And I just hope that anything that I pass today can, can be of benefit to others. And I hope to learn some things myself. Yeah, man. Uh, that's what we do it, brother. I guarantee it will. So, um, meaning I guarantee something that you're going to share is going to matter for somebody else. That's the only reason the show works. So without you, there's no show, man. So there's no place I'd rather be right now today than huddled up with you um, talking about just these things. So uh, why don't you just start with uh, your early life, if I could. I mean, um, I think it's important. I think it allows the guests that listen um, to settle in, to identify a bit with you. So, hey man, just share a couple of thoughts with me. What was it like growing up? What were you involved in? Uh, a lot of veterans I know play sports. I don't know if that's part of your background. If it's not sports, was it piano? Was it dance? Was it freaking, I don't know, drama club, glee club? You know, it's all the, we have all these different things, at least my assumption is that we're doing beyond the classroom at a young age. I'm just curious what kind of got you fired up um, when you weren't in class and what was it like in your home. Yeah, easy. So I, I grew up in Central Florida uh, in a little town called Bartow in Polk County uh, to, to pretty much the standard uh, nuclear family, mom, dad, uh, older sister, who's older by four, four years and one day exactly, uh, and a bunch of hunting dogs in the backyard. That's probably the one thing that was different. <laughs> um, yeah, so grew up uh, small town USA uh, neighborhood, the kind of neighborhood you know you could literally. We were latchkey kids, so you know you got up in the in the morning, rode your bike to school, and came home in the afternoon. Both parents worked; um, they oh. both worked for the state of Florida in some capacity. Um, but yeah, so I did I did grow up doing uh, doing activities, uh, doing sports. I grew up playing uh, in little league as a kid. Uh, grew up hunting and fishing uh, with my father and, and his father and uh, the rest of the family. Um, dog hunting, so obviously, you know, it's a difference, big, big difference between the dog hunters and the, and the guys that go sit in a stand all day long. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so did that. Uh, so it's interesting. You mentioned piano and you throw that out there, but yes, I did learn how to play the piano at a at an early age. I've always uh, appreciated music, and and honestly, the more uh, the older I got, basically, uh, by the time I could actually drive and I bought my first guitar and taught myself uh, how to play, I started gravitating more towards that and away from sports. So, I, sure. yeah, I moved away from organized sports probably about the same time I was old enough to really to drive. And I, I, had, I had purchased a guitar and I had, you know, delusions of grandeur uh, of being, you know, a, a rock star <laughs> when, I, when I was young. Um, but it, you know, it was it was a great family. It uh, you know I you know family was close. You know I think you know from a f family perspective, it's always been very close from an immediate perspective. I, I have a, a large extended family, um, but uh, yeah, for an immediate family, it, it was it was great. Still have friends from Bartow, Florida, that I went to elementary school with to this day. So. That's awesome, man. Um, you know, just to contrast with that with my experience, I would say that, you know, I was a son of a soldier, so we moved around quite a bit, didn't really have place we called home. Um, always envied that, right? Uh, I have strong childhood friends 
uh, from high school, but I don't know it goes beyond that. And we didn't kind of grow up together running around. Um, I, I love this idea that, hey, th- there was some sort of a dream that informed uh, my decision-making, my thoughts, what I was into. And for you, it was being a rock star, right? Hey, whatever the dream is, man. I mean, it's, it's impactful, right? I mean, shoot, I, I, I think I, I wanted to play guitar probably about 16 because I figured I'd catch a bunch of women uh, if I could do it well, right? I was absolute miserable <laughs> failure. It was not my thing, man. So let me just go put the pads on and hit somebody and do what I do best. A little bit of strength-based there awareness, <laughs> huh, brother? Even at a young age, I don't even know what it was. And we'll talk a little about that as we, as we move forward in the conversation. But uh, before we move on, man, I'm thankful for your family, thankful for their influence on your life and the man you've become today. And in doing that with, with justice, are your folks still living? If, they're, if they are awesome, if they're not, would you just mind sharing their names and then the name of your older sister too, just so we can bring them to life here? in this show. Yeah, absolutely. So my, my father is no longer with us. He, uh, he actually, he passed away this month. Um, I think 11 years now. Um, Mm. it was the day before Thanksgiving of all days back uh, in 2009. Mm. Um, so his name was, uh, was, was Richard. Everybody called him Dick. Um, he fit the moniker here and here and there, especially when I was a teenager. Uh, (laughs) so we were sometimes on, we were sometimes on a first name basis, uh, but but great guy. My mom, uh, Vicky, uh, she is still alive. She lives in uh, the, the metropolis of uh, Mayo, Florida, which is in the crook of the Panhandle in Central Florida. <laughs> it's a little town on the Suwannee River, of all places. Uh, I think it's got literally one stoplight, so it's it's big. Um, great place, though. Great place to visit. Uh, so she's still with us, and my older sister Lisa lives in Tampa. Uh, she's married. She has two kids of her own, and both are well. Actually, one has graduated from her master's program and is already teaching, and the other is a senior in college at the University of Florida. So I have to say, go Gators! <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful man. Uh, thanks so much um, to, to to family, to parents in this case, and siblings, Dick, Vicky, and Lisa. Hey man, let, let's continue here um, and talk a little bit about inspiration at the young age. Um, I'm just curious, man, was there anyone you looked up to, call it a mentor, call it a role model, uh, or just someone that was like, you know what, there's something about that that's informing my trajectory. Let me give you a little bit of thoughts on how crazy this answer could be. For me, it was really three people. Let me tell you who they were. Schwarzenegger, because of the movies he was in, Commando freaking total recall, Terminator, right? Like he was my superhero. Let me tell you the second one, Stallone, because of Rocky and all of them, specifically Rocky Four in the Rambo series. And I'm even going to go to the Frenchman, Jean-Claude Van Damme. Those three men, if not for those movies, I'm not sure I'd be in the army, right? Um, so it could be a movie star or it could be flesh and blood, man. But what, what kind of, who'd you look up to, man? So that's a, it's a, that's a great question, Court. So I have done a lot of self-reflection on this because I have, you know, for, for, I guess, you know, lack of better phraseology, I've been on autopilot for a lot of, a lot of my life and a lot of it, I actually have to go back and I do self-reflection. But when I started doing uh, my master's program, which is in strategic leadership, one of the things that we were confronted with earlier was just this question. It was like, you know, who did you, 
who did you look up to as a mentor? And man, I really had to think long and hard about this, but I've, I've got to, I mean, it sounds like the simple thing and I'm sure she's probably thinking that I'm, I'm full of shit, but uh, my mom and dad were like, by and large, they were the definitive influences in my life, right? Like it wasn't perfect. I can promise you that life was not perfect, you know, and all good things, it's typically not as hard. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of frustration, you know, a lot of, uh, of, of issues that arise, but, you know, my parents stayed the course. Um, they raised my, my sister and I, and I think, you know, we both have turned into the people that we are um, based on, uh, you know, based on their modeling and uh, developing us as kids. But, you know, they, they were hard workers, but they were, you know, it's interesting because my dad, I never really thought about this until again, this is when I really started thinking about this, but my dad, I could tell, you know, my dad worked for the department of transportation for the state of Florida. He had a, he had a high school education. So, I mean, this was back in the day when if you could draw and you were smart, you could be an engineer, right? You didn't necessarily have to have the college degree to go with it. And he became a, an engineer for the Department of Transportation. And he worked for DOT in Florida for 30 plus years before he retired. Um, but I could tell, I mean, when he walked into the room, he was obviously, he was a force to be reckoned with, but you would never know it, right? Even when we were hunting as, as, as a small kid, I mean, I, I went hunting with him my grandfather, his father, um, his uncle, and a bunch of family friends. And he was always kind of the guy that everybody deferred to. Even his father deferred to him. And it was just, there was something about him. And I don't know if it was his presence. I don't know if it was, he was very commonsensical, right? Highly intelligent, but had uh, a very high level of common sense. He was very approachable, uh, measured, deliberate. So when I think back, I was like, you know, I think that, is who I, I definitely, was definitely a role model for me, definitely who I think I try to model myself after today. Um, and then same thing with my mother, right? She was hard worker, you know, she, she, you know, she was, she was working as well, um, taking care of the family. You know, there were points in times when my dad was traveling or he was hunting, which, you know, in the, in the South, you know, it could be <laughs> when someone leaves to go hunting, it's not just on the weekend. Sometimes it could be for weeks on end. <laughs> and she took care of the house. She took care of us when I wasn't with my dad. And I mean, you know, she today, she still, you know, still does enough, you know, still does so much for everybody. You know, she's constantly giving, not just to myself and, you know, my family and my sister and her family, but to others, you know, she's, you know, she's just a truly generous spirit. And, um, you know, I, I, I have to say that first and foremost, yes, they are my role models. And then if I was to ever venture beyond them, um, my two grandfathers were both very, um, j just very, the type of people that I would want to, you know, I would want to be uh, considered as, because they, you know, both hard workers again, um, both generous, everybody was kind, but, you know, definitely strong in character, so. Yeah, man. I love it. And let me just kind of brief back here what I'm hearing from you. Um, and a shout out to the family, right? I mean, here's another reminder, y'all, if you're listening, if you're someone's dad, if you're someone's mom, if you're someone's brother, someone's sister, you freaking matter, right? Whether you're intentionally investing in the development or the influence of a son or a daughter or a brother or a sister, just know that you matter. Because one of the words that Garrett used here was just modeling the behavior. 
whether it's good behavior or bad, you're making a difference. So just encouraging the family unit and even the extended family, um, maybe you're someone's grandparent, aunt or uncle, which I could probably spend the whole show talking about that. I mean, I'm, I'm a Catholic kid, brother. I got freaking 38 freaking Italians running around New Jersey and New York. Um, and, you know, seriously, uh, my mom had five sisters and a brother and uh, my dad had two brothers and they all have big families. But here, here's what I'm hearing from the early influences in your life and the reasons why. Dick, your dad, hard work or committed. He had a physical presence. He was a hunter. He was smart, approachable, measured, and deliberate. Those are incredible qualities that probably were part of who you are today, whether you wanted it to be or not. Vicky, your mom, again, hard worker, a couple things that were different, not to repeat the things that you shared about your father. She was a great partner, oh, I heard, to your father, and she was selfless and giving. Um, and then I'm not going to kind of move forward without just bringing the idea that you said they stayed the course. That was, that's a very deliberate word there. What I'm hearing from you a little bit is there probably was some challenges in the home, maybe even with the relationship and the marriage. But for whatever reason, they decided that staying together and raising the family and having the family was most important. And that probably resonates with a lot of people. Um, I believe in that. I think it's important. I happen to be speaking from the perspective of a, of a divorced man, right? Uh, divorced in June of this year. And it's probably one of the most difficult things I've ever dealt with in my life is looking at my life from that perspective as it moves forward. So thanks for sharing, man. Um, let's fast forward here a little bit. Let's continue in this conversation. And I, I just want to go to, we're probably about the same age. I don't know that to be true, Garrett, but we're probably both in our forties. Um, you know, and I'm thinking that we both lived through September 11th. 2001. And a ton of my listeners uh, have as well. And so I'm just curious, do you recall that day? Um, did it have an impact at all upon your life? Were you in the military then? Or were you in the military afterwards? Um, share some thoughts, man, about that day, if you remember, and if it had an impact at all. If it did it, we can move off it really quick. Just curious, man. <laughs> uh, no. So yes. So September 11th, 2001, uh, I remember vividly. I remember where I was. Uh, it was hugely impactful, uh, in my life. So to, to go back in time a little bit, I, I escaped small town Florida, or yeah, small town Florida. In fact, I had moved from Bartow, uh, at the age of 13 to another town called Lake, Lake city, Still have a bunch of great friends there. Um, it's in North Central Florida. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we called Lake City, uh, Lake Shitty, um, very affectionately, but I had to escape. <laughs> and if we, if, if I, you know, I, I wasn't, I've, you know, I, I've always been slow and I've, I've made up for it with terrible hands, uh, which speaks about my athletic ability. So the only other way I could exit, I could exit. Uh, town was was enlisting in the military, right? So I did. So I went into the Navy for three years. Um, I got out, uh, went, to the, went to college at the University of Florida, graduated. And uh, like most people that uh, go to go to Florida in Gainesville, they, they want to stay because it is a great place and you still get to go to football games on Saturdays, right? Um, 
so I had a job. I was working in the private sector. I was working in uh, property management. Had a decent paying job for really what Gainesville is, um, which is is still a small town that's you know shadowed, you know, kind of overshadowed by a huge university. And I, I was at work, and I was actually sitting upstairs. Um, my assistant man, I was the manager of of this company. My assistant manager was sitting downstairs. Um, waiting for me to come down because I lived on on the premises as well. And, you know, uh, I was upstairs watching TV and I mean, I turned it, I turned the TV on probably about the same time everybody did. And that was watching, you know, one tower up in smoke. And while we're watching that tower, everybody, you know, sees the, uh, the next plane fly into the, to, I think it was the South Tower. Yeah. Um, and, and I witnessed that and it was, I was, I was just, you know, astonished. Um, I'd been in the military. I knew what the consequences were of this. I mean, there was no denying what was going on. I, you know, I think a lot of people were, were having challenges with really understanding what was going on. I think a lot of us that had been in the military or were in the military absolutely had no, knew exactly what was, was going on. And, you know, I, I made the decision at that point, you know, you know, the days and the weeks passed and I, I leading up to 9-11, I was already feeling a sense of, um, I guess, a sense of longing, you know, like there's nothing like having, there's, there's a camaraderie that exists, I think, in sports and the military that is unlike any other, right? And I think I was, I was working, when I was in college, I had actually worked at a bar to put myself through school and every single guy that worked in the bar was a former service member as well and there was that camaraderie now i was working in you know in a business as a manager um you know <laughs> managing you know managing processes and things and 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 property and that camaraderie had gone away and when i saw you know what happened on september 11th i'd already been longing for that and i made a decision like right then and there i was like you know i think i got to go back now the interesting thing is is that i'm i'm a bit measured in the way i do things so i started you know uh, you know i i let myself go a little bit so i started hazing myself again to get back into the shape that i was when i was i was in the navy um and I, I really was looking at the, the Air Force at the time. I was looking at the Air Force specifically uh, going the combat controller route. It, it interested me. Um, the challenges of that entire pipeline I found fascinating and interested me. Um, so I started basically uh, hazing myself and building myself up and doing everything I could to get myself to yes in the future. Um, and I think it was probably... I had a I had a window and I think it was about nine months after that and I was about to you know about to walk into um, the recruiter's office when I saw on television so now we're talking you know nine months after September 11th and I saw someone being interviewed on the news and they were basically you know questioning America's position in Afghanistan why we were there it was kind of like everybody had forgot already within nine months what had happened on September 11th. Um, the Marine, you know, America was fully engaged in Afghanistan at that time. There was tensions were growing in Iraq, but we, we, we weren't there yet. Um, and, you know, I just, I, I was like, you know what, I'm tired of this. I was like, you know, somebody's got to do some stuff and I'm the kind of guy that likes to do stuff. So I'm going to do it. 
Um, and I, I, I had a bunch of buddies that worked at the bar with me. And most, most of the guys that worked at the bar uh, were Marines. Um, and I just, they were always, there was just something about them, right? I worked with an army ranger. I worked with a coast guard guy, all great guys. Uh, but the, the Marines, there was just something to it. And I remember when I was, I was in the Navy, right. And, you know, I was, I was a sailor and the Marines are part of the department of the Navy. Right. But I remember being, I was actually at the Pentagon as a, you know, in the, in the late nineties, you know, I never, I never went on a ship. I was in the Pentagon of all places. And, you know, the Marines were still just different. The uniforms were different. The presence was different. And I saw how I saw what the Marines were doing in Afghanistan. And I was like, man, I really I want to get in on that. So I went to the Marine recruiter. Uh, actually, I contacted the OSO. So the officer selection officer first, because I was a college graduate. Right. And the line was still probably two miles long to get in. Um, everybody and their buddy wanted to get into the Marine Corps to do work after September 11th. No doubt. Uh, so I'm, yeah, so I made the determination. I was like, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna enlist. I'm gonna enlist and I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna, <laughs> if I'm gonna do it hard, I'm gonna do it as hard as I can. And I went infantry and uh, you know, <laughs> that's, what, that's what I did. Now, the Marine Corps obviously had different plans for me as things happened, but you know, I went down there, I enlisted and I think in January, of 2003 is when they finally shipped me off to to recruit training as a 28 year old um, uh, recruit in the United States Marine Corps with a college education. So, so yeah, but yeah, so it definitely so so yes, I was overwhelmed by patriotism uh, on September 11th, which you know as as we all should have been. Uh, and then I was overwhelmed again by patriotism when I saw the negativity that was being um, displayed uh, in that in that news interview. And I made the determination at that point that I wanted to, to get back in it. I wanted to be a public servant. I wanted that camaraderie that I had, I had missed so badly. And yeah, 18 years later. So <laughs> awesome, man. Well, thanks for sharing that. Um... And, I, and I'm excited to hear that you did have, you know, a specific memory moment in time. Remember where you were and, and how that impacted some decision making. I mean, is there a way you could take us through at a very high level um, what you did in the, in the Marines? Um, meaning kind of this was my, my focus and my specialty area. Here's maybe some of the places that I was assigned. Did you get a chance to go overseas and, and engage in combat operations? Um, I know this could probably be three hours of feedback. I'm not looking for three hours, yeah. but just some insight to kind of that career, if, if you could, Garrett, would you mind? Yeah, no, absolutely. So I, I, I enlisted as infantry and I was an 0311 rifleman. Um, <clears throat> however, I was also chosen to, at that point in time, I was chosen for another program in the Marine Corps to be a, a security force member. So I ended up going to Marine Corps security force training in, in school and went to what they call the fleet anti-terrorism security teams early on. Um, so infantry platoon work doing different stuff. You know, I, I sat outside of the USS Florida ballistic missile submarine for three months while it got defueled and refueled, right? <laughs> Great times. Um, and then I had orders to uh, 3-8, an infantry unit based out of Camp Lejeune, uh, North Carolina, 
and I showed up to go get my infantry uh, stuff on and they redirected me to Saint, second tank battalion. So I was a, a grunt in second tank battalion and deployed to Fallujah uh, in 05 to 06. Um, was going to get out of the Marine Corps at that point in time. Um, and, you know, like all things Marine Corps does is I was coming home from deployment and within a month supposed to be transitioning. And I just knew I was, I was married uh, at that time as well um, to my first wife. So I, I, I ended up getting divorced as well. Um, but I was, I just knew, I was like, man, I cannot get out of, I, I was old enough and smart enough to know what transition was like having done it once already, right? That there's just no possibility that this is going to, to work out for me. So a buddy of mine was like, hey, well, there's this, there's this unit and, you know, we want to, you know, I know the master gunnery sergeant over there and maybe we can call him and do it. So I was like, okay, I'll re-enlist if I get orders to this place. Um, did all the interviews, you know, did a lot of phone calls from Fallujah of all places, submitted resumes. Um, it, it was just an interesting, you know, experience of, of doing this stuff. It was like I was applying for a job while I was in Fallujah in my spare time from running combat <laughs> operations. Um, I, you know, I, I, I was in a vacuum because I was in Iraq. What I did not know at the time was that the unit that I was actually trying to get orders to had already been swept up under the rug of what was forming as Marine Corps Forces Special Operations Command. Um, I did not know until I got orders, <laughs> got orders over there, right? Um, but I, I wasn't scared because I was like, well, man, I was trying to get, I was going to stop talking about being a combat controller anyways, right? So I'm going to do this. Um, so yeah, I, they, they were like, okay, yep, you're good to go based on resumes and our phone, phone interview. And you know, we cut your orders. So I showed up on a Friday in, in December of 2006 and, you know, was told, yes, and, and, you know, in March, you're going to end up having to go through a selection process. And I was like, March is three months away. You know, I got time, you know, I'll, I'll get, I'll get to where I need to be physically. Uh, showed up at the end of a Friday, because as all Marines, you know, if we're going to check in, we want to check in at the very last minute. So we don't have to wear our service outfits for so long. And we can actually change over into camis and come back the next day. Uh, showed up on a like three thirty on a Friday afternoon. Was the last person in a in a group meeting, and you know by the time I walked in, everybody had sort of like you know clapped hands and said, "All right, let's do it." And I was, "What are we doing? What are we doing?" Well, what we're doing is is we're showing up at the pull up bars at five thirty on Monday morning to start selection. And I was like. Okay, I guess this is for real. For real. So wow. yeah, so we started a selection process, which was rudimentary, right? We were Marine Corps was trying to learn what it was learning. Long story short, I was successful, right? We did a we did a selection process. We did a pipeline of training. I was uh, assigned to a battalion, um, a unit, and ultimately through all things Marine Corps, the names changed multiple times, but. Uh, I spent 14 years uh, with Marine Corps Forces Special Operations Command. I was a uh, critical skills operator, which is the, the operator MOS uh, in the command. And I, I deployed, you know, nine times to, uh, you know, a couple of times to combat, but there were other, other missions that were going on across the world that Special sure. Operations was covering down on. So I was in East Africa, West Africa, um, South Asia, 
Central Asia. I was in a lot of different places. Um, and I was with 3rd Marine Raider Battalion twice over the course of my career for about nine years uh, together. I was an instructor at our schoolhouse for three and a half years. Um, and then I was, uh, my last gig uh, was my last two years, I was at the Marine Raider Regiment as a staff, uh, as the staff NCO over a, uh, over the sensitive activities uh, division for the regiment. Um, so yeah, it was interesting times. It's, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, it happened. Hey man, uh, wonderful. And there's so many parts of that that I'm kind of hearing from you that might or may have been little mini surprises even for you. Like, I, I don't know that I could show up on a Friday and then say, yes, yeah, election starting Monday. I mean, I was so deliberate in my prep um, when I went and began special forces uh, selection and assessment. So um, you, you must be a phenomenal human being, man. And in some cases that also I would say that, you know what, we're really not. We're just average folks that decided to make a, 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 a different decision. And, and drew upon some of the things you learned from Vicky and Dick, which is I'm going to work really damn hard at it. I'm going to be committed. I'm not going to give up. And sometimes that's what we need to see something like that through. So thanks for sharing it, man. Very yeah. in, um, informative for me, because that's the first time I've heard that <laughs> from you. And yeah. so I'm experiencing it just with a listener. Um, something else I want to take advantage of that I love to do when I feature my military here on this show. And I don't do it all the time. But I want to do it with you here because, um, shoot, man, you founded a company called Southern Cross Leadership Solutions. So what I want to do here, Garrett, is I want to talk about your perspective on the word leadership. So if you would, my friend, how do you define that? Yeah, so leadership. So it's it's interesting because there's you know there is actual definition and there's components to the definition. I'll I'll give you my mine, um, and some of it's academic and some of it's me paraphrasing, putting my own words into it. But you know, it's to me you know leadership. It's a it's a process of you know it's social and positive influence, right? And I I like to say specifically the empowerment of others. Um, you know, and I think to pursue and achieve the extraordinary on the back end of those things. To me, leadership is, um, it's about authenticity, compassion, vulnerability, genuineness, just, you know, caring about others. Um, if I was going to say leadership in a nutshell, it's, you know, it's influencing other people to be better than they were yesterday, but it's knowing that you as a leader are responsible and accountable to yourself to do the same. Um, and last but not least, I would say that I think leadership is is more common across everyone than people think. Leadership, everybody leads at some point in their lives. Everybody leads others, influences others. You know, it's not about title or position. It's about the, the situation. It's about the context of the moment. Um, but, you know, you can be a leader in everything from your community to your home, to your church, to your job, to, you know, uh, to your book club of all things, right? Like, I mean, it is, it's just about influence and empowerment. Yeah, I love it, man. Um, appreciate the perspective there. I think that, that I definitely uh, identify with what you're framing, uh, leadership being influence, leadership being empowerment. Um, and I like the way you built that out with a purpose, which is in order to be better or perform better 
in some particular way. Um, also the invitation to, to have a definition for leadership that, that rejects um, it being about a title or a position, meaning you're still a leader as long as you don't have a title that you would think would be one, I think is really powerful. And hopefully as people continue to listen to the show, um, they're getting beat over the face uh, with that because I think it's, it's impactful, man. I mean, there's so many people that I've engaged with that didn't see it that way. And once they see it that way, like, oh, wow, I'm a leader too. You know, I've done so many workshops where, hey, raise your hand if you believe, believe that you are a leader. And to see so many hands down and then to explore that definition, I think uh, really in some cases is what can unlock future potential and others to make a change or something different. So let's continue here, man. Uh, I wanna talk a little bit about um, some more perspective that's unique to you. Um, you know, you've absolutely led, you just went through your, your kind of professional work in the Marines. You've certainly managed even property, right? Before you even went into your second enlistment in service. Um, so you've been doing this for a good minute, man. Um, your LinkedIn handle has these words, and I'm quoting here, I failed at being a leader more than once, end quote. And, you know, what incredible vulnerability that you have there when you step into something like that. Um, I'm just curious, man, from a messaging perspective, why do you choose those words? And, you know, what are you trying to message to others with a statement like that? Um, yeah, so I'll go back to something you mentioned earlier. Um, so yes, so so Southern Cross Leadership Solutions is my you know my my singular focus of not I won't say singular focus of effort. My primary focus of effort as I move forward, I I do have a lot of my hands on a lot of stuff. Um, but th what I mean by that is I failed at being a leader more than once. It's kind of my take on you know the old quote. I, I don't know who said it, but you can see it on it, you can probably find it on Pinterest, right? Um, is the road to, to the road to success is, is paved with failures, right? And I want to say I do know Thomas Edison once said, you know, I've never failed, but I've found more than ten thousand ways to do something wrong, right? And it's I am I believe in, in, in what I'm doing, right? And I, I don't think that I can come in and solve it, everybody's problems by any means, but I do know without doubt, <clears throat> you know, that I can help you explore them. I can help build resiliency and I can help set the conditions toward high performance, uh, whether as an individual or a company. Um, so I put those words up there because that is me saying, hey, I understand the organization and you're looking at me right? Potentially you're looking at Southern Cross Leadership Solutions as, a, as an option to come in and provide training for your, for your employees. Like, I understand what you're dealing with because guess what? I've been there, right? I served in every leadership position on a Marine Special Operations team, right? And the beauty of serving on a team in, those, in that capacity is, is guess what? A lot of the time, it's just the fact that you've You've been in one position before and now you meet the rank for the next one, right? It doesn't necessarily mean it's proven success, right? I know I remember, you know, Rob Campbell mentioned on a previous, on your previous episode that, you know, rank, there, a lot of authority came with rank, right? And, the, you know, the Marine Corps and its infinite wisdom is going to put people in place simply based on rank at times, not necessarily capacity. 
Um, so yeah, it's a learning environment. It's always a live environment. I was successful. Absolutely. I was successful more than I failed, but I definitely failed. And I, I use those words because I want to show that like, you know, it's, it's okay to fail. Right. I mean, in fact, it's, it's awesome because it provides another experience to learn, learn from as you move forward. Um, so yeah, that's, I, I use those words. It's my attention grabber to say, yeah, I'm not, you know, I am who I am. I've been there, I've done it, and I've, <laughs> I've seen both ends, both ends of uh, success and failure, so. Yeah, man, it is absolutely an attention grabber. Um, and uh, I understand, uh, as you've explained it, why it's there for you. Um, awesome. What I'd love to explore here, which kind of builds on that a little bit, um, you know, would you be comfortable maybe sharing a time in which you felt like you failed and what you learned from that? I mean, we're talking maybe leadership lessons. We're talking, if we, if we use the definition, leadership lessons, maybe a cliche, um, maybe a lesson in influence where you had one approach and you realized because you had success that that's a really good one, or maybe there was an approach uh, that didn't work out so well. Um, but any, any lessons, if at all, you might want to share with the audience, given your experience um, and this kind of tagline. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll, I'll actually, so what I, what I will say is, and then I'll go into what leads me to, to say this, but I, I will say is that, so leadership isn't easy, but it's not necessarily hard, right? Like what I mean by that is, is that, that you know, if you understand that it's about people and that people are different and you have to understand that, hey, people are different in how they they relate to others. People are, are different in how they communicate with others, how they process information that they receive from others and how they act on it, right? People are people and people are what makes leadership interesting, not necessarily difficult or hard, right? It's, it's, you know, you can't take a one size uh, fits all approach. So in, a, in an area where I was both successful and failure, uh, actually my last two deployments uh, in MARSOC, we're, we're, we're with 3rd Marine Raider Battalion, and I was uh, essentially the team leader for a very small team in West Africa um, with a lot of visibility um, just based on where we were and who we were working with and, and our relationships with the State Department while we were there. And my first deployment, we were very successful. I think we pushed the envelope of what their expectations were. Um, so anytime you exceed expectations, you become the, the poster child of, of what right looks like, correct? Uh, and we were, we were very successful. Um, we were able to incorporate a lot of things that were just being conceptualized at that point in time. Come full circle, uh, I'm rolling back into this same position, same country, um, same embassy. The staff is a little different, but also what is different is the my entire uh, higher command, right, um, that I answered to from the military. And, you know, I, you know I, based on the success I had, you know, you were talking about influences. Um, I was able to easily influence the previous deployment. But when I came in the second time, I treated this, this group, this collective of individuals that was new, I treated them in the same capacity that I had treated the previous group, right? And it was they did not function the same. They did not have the same perspectives on things. And 
you know, my ability to influence them. And a lot of it too was based on some stubbornness on my part because I'm the guy that had been there, done that, right? This was not my first rodeo, as they say. Um, it really affected relationships. And, uh, you know, where I failed in that is, is it's one thing if, you know, I've affected the relationship with myself and these individuals, but my stubbornness, my approach, my inability to influence them the way I had the previous time, it affected the perception they had on my teammates, right? And that is what, what I saw as the failure is, is that now anytime my teammates had something, and obviously if I was, no matter how great the idea, it ends up being Garrett as the team leader that is pushing this. And <laughs> my relationship was, was sour, um, I would say probably a few months into this deployment, just based on some personality conflicts, um, was was soured, and I had to do, you know, and when I saw it affecting my teammates, you know, I, I had to bite the bullet, I had to make amends, I had to work overtime in order to rebuild and establish those relationships so they didn't suffer. I could care less what the personal feelings were about me. Um, I hated the fact that I saw them, them suffering. So that is, you know, that's an example of, you know, understanding, understanding the difference in the people and it's not a one size fits all. Yeah, man. I love the story. Just a couple of themes thematically that I heard from you in this sharing out on, you know, maybe highlighting a failure, um, and how that impacted or informed maybe your definition for leadership and what you did moving forward. Um, number one here, I wrote down, Leadership is about people. Number two, uh, for you, it's the people that wait that makes leadership interesting. And then, really, kind of the the bottom line up front that I'm hearing from you in this story is that you had an awareness that you cannot lead the same way with everyone, because it was the same team, as I understand it, same place, different result. Uh, yes. Is this not the essence of leadership? Right. You know, leadership is how aware am I of the others around me? Again, you got to buy into the definition that leadership is influence. You know, it's not dictatorship that gets you only a limited result in my experience. It's how can I shift my behavior, my actions in order to be the influence that's necessary for, in this case, your higher command. But I would say there's also probably examples you could share when it applies to a peer-to-peer -peer relationship, a coworker, or a direct report that you're responsible for managing. It's actually the same damn thing if we see leadership through that same lens that it's influenced. So thanks so much for sharing that, man. Yeah, um, no, my pleasure. Yeah, man. Um, I want to talk a little bit about transition. Um, one, because I know you've been through it. And to be honest, it's been pretty recent. I like guess this year. Um, and so could you just share maybe a few challenges that you faced and what you did to overcome these challenges? Because I think that's another reason why folks listen to this show. I mean, there's some great perspectives on leadership, but now we're getting a little tactical, if we could. Any thoughts? Yeah, yeah I yeah, I do have thoughts. So I, so I, I didn't think about this actually until recently. This was probably a couple of months ago and I was reading, I think it was someone on LinkedIn and they were talking about how they had, they had not only transitioned once, but twice. And I was like, 
I'm about to transition twice, right? I, I mean, you know, history is history, but what I realized is, is that the difficulty that I had, I experienced both times. And, um, you know, when I transitioned out of the Navy, I knew what I was doing. I knew I was going to college, right? I had been accepted to the University of Florida. I had an avenue of approach. I was, I knew what I was going to be doing for the, for the time being. Um, what I didn't know um, you know, then was really what I wanted to do other than go to college. Now come full circle Marine Corps is I feel like I, I definitely approached transition uh, head on. I, you know, I think I probably could have stretched it a, a little longer, but I mean, I, I think I started transitioning fully when I began day one of the Honor Foundation last fall. So August of 2019. And I had a plan. I, I was already a member of, of Elite Meet at that time. So I was networking. You know, I understood the value of networking. The Honor Foundation really was eye-opening for me and helping me sort of establish who I am, sort of my personal brand and what I was taking forward, how I could you know, sell myself as an individual to whatever company, whatever industry that I was interested in moving forward, right? And then I... You know, I, I, I applied for and was accepted to the Tuck program because I thought that I wanted to go into the business world, specifically sort of finance. I got an internship at a bank. Um, you know, COVID had, you know, had things to say about how all of that actually was executed. Um, but I did it. And, you know, I, I thought I had a track. And, you know, honestly, the hardest thing for me, the biggest challenge that I had was was first and foremost was what am I going to do next? Like I can think about these things all day long. I can say, you know, you mentioned earlier that I'm a, you know, I'm a lifelong learner and I do, I do sort of self, you know, I self-describe as that the, so the problem with that is, <laughs> is that everything interests me but based on my experience, nothing interests me, right? Like it's kind of hard, like, like I've been in some situations and I've been, I've done some things that like stories are told, you know, books are written about. Sure. And it's like, everything interests me, but then again, nothing interests me. Right. And then it was, it was like, I found that I, I fit everywhere because here I am, I've got experience. I've got probably more education than I really need to begin with. Right. And you know, I, I, I can add two plus two. So I'm value, value added in some manner. Right. Um, but I fit nowhere. Right. I remember, I remember talking to a guy on the phone that was a, a junior military officer recruiter for something. And he was basically like, dude, I can't, can't sell you. He's like, you're a master sergeant with 20 years, you know, 21 years of service and a master's degree. He's like, and then some, he's like, I can't, he's like, I, you, don't do anything for me. And it was, that was what was hard. That was, it was like trying to figure out, it's like, damn. And, and how do you find purpose in doing things? How do you find, you know, and it's, you know, that was the struggle. How do you find purpose in being an investment banker? How do you find purpose in, in venture capital or private equity or the tech industry or as an operations manager after you've had a purpose and you've had value alignment and sort of a higher calling um, and it, you know, and it's kind of hard at some point in time, you have to like come off your freaking pedestal and do, do a lot of self-reflection, right? And it's what I determined, and this is where Elite Meet actually helped me 
connect with a lot of guys that were obviously experiencing the same thing, but understanding that you absolutely can find purpose in those other things, right? And so that was probably the hardest challenge for me was, was figuring out that, that next chapter and, and where, and, you know, we can probably have a whole nother podcast on how I got to where I, where I am now. Um, but it was, it was difficult. And I, I mean, it was, I tell you, I did a 180 and I did it almost overnight. And what got me um, to overcome that challenge and where I am today was honestly, I saw a lot of counsel. I did the commit foundation as well. Right. Um, um, I had a, a fantastic coach. I had a lot, I made a lot of phone calls. I was doing a lot of informational interviews with people to learn about industry, to learn about positions. I was try. I was trying my hand at mentorship. I had had a had a, I had done Veterati um, multiple times. I had done, had a, had a mentor through American corporate partners who ultimately decided that I needed to get pushed off to someone else that could be more helpful. And that guy was honestly the guy that I had a conversation with one day and it was, it was an awakening. And that was where I just, I decided that I had to, I was flipping everything that I had thought I was doing, you know, and heading another direction. I say the other challenge I had is there's a lot of great organizations out there, a lot of great veteran services organizations um, and nonprofits. Um, there's so many it's hard to sift through, right? And there's so many that there's a lot of duplication of effort. Uh, and unfortunately, there's a lot of gaps. Um, so that and that that was hard for me was trying to figure out, you know, I, I was able, I think as a as a special operations guy, I don't think they cater to us necessarily, but I think the they, the communication of what we can tap into is more directed than say some of the conventional guys probably get, especially when everybody goes through their service specific transition seminar. Um, but there's so much, there's so much to filter through like, oh my gosh. And, but I would say that there's a lot of opportunity. There's a lot of stuff you can tap into, but you got to have the time to do it. Cause if you don't set the time aside, then you're going to get, you know, lost in the, in the shuffle, I think. And, yeah. Uh, thanks for sharing that. I think when we talk about challenges that you experienced in transition, there's a bunch of them, I think is the first answer, but the top two you're highlighting here, number one, what the hell am I going to do next with my life? Uh, and you built that out a little bit more to, you know, where can I find purpose? And I think you challenged your outlook that, I, I don't know that I can find purpose in VC work. I don't know if I can have find purpose and work in a tech company. I don't know if I can find purpose in investment banking uh, as you gave us more of a vivid description of, of what you thought you could find purpose in. And my, my guess is since you're not doing that now, that answer is no, it was not where you found and delivered on your purpose. Um, that's not to reject for someone listening right now that says that's where you find your purpose, right? Um, for whatever it is, the best lived life for Garrett in this moment, he discovered that it wasn't in those particular industries. And he absolutely said, the answer to how I found my purpose is for another show. Um, but, I, but I do want to comment on it just for a second. And I'm just going to share my perspective. How do you find purpose? How do you answer the question to you know, what I want to do next. There's a bunch of exercises. The one that's been most helpful for me is to answer the question of 
what are the three to five core values that significantly impact my decision-making and my fulfillment in life? And that should lead you to an answer. And there's a bunch of ways. If you don't have a great start point, go to the Institute on Character, look up the values and, and action assessment tool. That's going to give you some insight by taking a survey. I use that in my work with clients today. But I mean, most folks here have lived a little bit of life. And so you probably can come up with those things. But once you do, see where that can be satisfied and what you do next. And here's the beautiful thing about that, in my opinion. You can find that in a number of different professions. So it's almost like we overcomplicate it in a minute, right? Like my values, I'm honest, I'm humble, I'm brave, I'm incredibly gritty, and I have a deep spirituality. And if I can satisfy those things, I can find value alignment, which is a word that you even use in your own work, that I'm going to be happy. I'm going to feel like I'm serving a purpose. So just inviting folks as an exercise to consider if you're struggling with that, that's a great start point. And there's more to it. Uh, the second challenge that you had that you identified, Garrett, was trying to find the right VSO, the veteran support organization to work with, and just to list off the incredible folks that you worked with. And so if you're listening to the show and you're curious about some of these, reach out to Garrett. He'll give you his perspective. We got Elite Meet. We've got the Honor Foundation. We've got American Corporate Partners. We've got Better Riding. We've got the Commit Foundation. Those are some signature ones. So if you want to learn more about those things, reach out to Garrett. And that'll help you make a good decision because you said that the reason why that was hard for you is one, there's so many, but you only have limited time. Yeah, exactly. And I can tell you, because I coach for the Honor Foundation and I coach for the Commit Foundation in my work, they're two very different processes. So there might be one that works for you. It might be one that doesn't. So, yeah. All right, brother. Thanks for talking about that. I do want to spend a little bit more about your work in and around Elite Meet because I did have Zach Hughes on the show. Uh, I have an idea of what their organization does, but haven't talked about Elite Meet for my listeners in a long time. So could you just share a little about what is it, what is it that you do for the organization and how do they serve veterans? Yeah, absolutely. So so I am the de facto director of recruiting. It's a title. I, it's a voluntary job that I do. Um, it actually, uh, a couple of guys used to do it. And then myself and another Raider took over as they were transitioning into their next chapter and they had found work. Uh, so a friend, of, friend and I took over and he transitioned into his work. Um, it's something that I have found uh, value in. Um, you know, for starters, I get to have a lot of conversations and I get to have a lot of conversations with high caliber individuals. Um, I can impart some wisdom on them more times than not. Uh, they have wisdom that they can impart on me. Uh, and I just love, I, I love talking to people. Um, but for, for everybody that's out there, so Elite Meet, it's a, it's a 501c3 uh, nonprofit, um, which supports service members across the special operations enterprise, specifically special operations selected uh, uh, personnel and certain enabling function personnel. So if you, you know, there's certain, certain things, it's not, you know, it's not for everybody and there's a reason for that and we can talk more about it. Um, but as well as specially selected flight officers, right? So think fighter pilots, think uh, members of Air Force Special Operations Command, think pilots for the 160th Special Operations Aviation Regiment, okay? And we support them through transition by connecting them to, to leaders in the business sector uh, and the industries uh, are across the board, right? It's uh, finance, it's tech, it's consulting, even entrepreneurship. 
Um, and the, the real point to it is it's really, it's about relationship building. Um, Elite Meet is an organization where there's probably, you know, just over a thousand members and it is a networking community. Are we going to be able to build you and help you transition like the Honor Foundation or the Commit Foundation? No, but it's a stepping stone once you have found yourself in, in a transition fellowship such as that, it's a stepping stone to now be able to present yourself and the brand that you have created and how you, where you want to go, right? And uh, we can put you in, in, you know, in front of people like that in those industries, those leaders, and, and ultimately help you find employment, which is, is the key. And we do that through signature events where we bring our members and hiring partners together. Um, before COVID struck, it was three times a year in some pretty big locations and uh, lots of people, you know, upwards of 300 people involved uh, over the course of two and a half days. Um, but yeah, so that's that's really how, how Elite Meet is. And it's, uh, you know, it's got, we've got a new chief executive officer, uh, Megan Thatford, that has come in um, where we're, trying to build some things out and you know it's it's a great organization but it's not the only one you know like you said court there's there's a lot out there um you just have to know what it is uh that you're looking for and which and and how they can help you yeah man awesome thank you so much for the clarity there and, and for the folks listening if i may just add and garrett if i'm wrong correct me but based on what you're telling me that elite me does in my opinion there's a there's a right time to reach out to elite me and, and here's where I think it is. Let's keep the numbers really simple. So let's say, let's say you're transitioning in the course of the next 12 months. So you've got a year. In my opinion, Elite Meet is for the final chapter. The final chapter I'm defining as when you're three months out from the time in which you told yourself, I must be employed, this is the time to engage with Elite Meet. I think some of this might be contingent upon when and where they're having their functions because Garrett, you were very specific that you do three a year. So that has to be considered here as well. But if you don't have a good awareness of self, of strengths, and of how you want to project and market yourself to others, in my opinion, that work's all going to be done up front. And that's a great opportunity to lean into the Honor Foundation and the Commit Foundation, in my opinion, just because I have intimate knowledge of how they serve and how they help people come to that deep awareness. And then take that learning, take that high confidence, and then begin to network. And Elite Meet can be a portion, not all, but a portion, one of those lines of efforts in the networking front, because you were very clear, Garrett, on their intent. They're going to put you in front of people, people that want to hire you. And you have these partnerships with those folks. So that's what I took away from that. Thanks for sharing it, man. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if I if I could just yeah. add one thing to that is, is this too, it's understanding, you know, that hiring partners, you know, when they, when a job is posted, you know, nine out of 10 times that the window that they're looking to have, you know, a, a, a butt in the seat behind the desk is usually three to four months. All right. So there's timing. <laughs> timing is what it is. I would say that Elite Meet, if, if anything else, it can help you answer some questions. Like once you do the things that you learn through someone like THF or, or the Commit Foundation, is it still provides an opportunity to, to learn about industry, to learn about um, some of the challenges that others are going through 
um, and how they're narrowing those things down. You know, a lot of the time you're right, guys know what it is that they want to do. So they know, like I'm joining Elite Meet because I know that they have a lot of guys in venture capital and I want to learn about venture capital. That's absolutely the case. But you know what, if you're interested and you don't even know what venture capital is, Elite Meet can help you out with that. Just industry-wise, like it's a way to, to, to learn and a way to, you know, get some information. Awesome. My guess is if you're interested and you're listening to the show about partnering with Elite Meet, I would say reach out to Garrett. Is that a good piece of advice, my friend? Yeah, reach out to me and I will put you in, in uh, touch with our CEO for sure. If you're a hiring partner looking to tap into, you know, probably the the, the top 1% uh, the nation has to offer from a from a military population. Awesome. So if you're listening and you're running a business and you want a partner, reach out to Garrett. If you're in transition and you want a partner from a person being served, reach out to Garrett. My guess is you can type in Elite Meet in a damn Google search and you're going to get a hit anyway because I think it's been in the space for a moment and and they do a really good job with what they're doing. All right, man. Um, Let's continue with just where your focus is. And I want to talk about your company, man, Southern Cross Leadership Solutions. What are you trying to do with this thing, man? (laughs) Tell us about how you're serving others, man. Yeah. So I'll tell you, so I, you know, I, you mentioned values before and I, I'm, I am huge on having a vision, having mission and having values. Right. And I have all for all for the business, but you know, my vision is, is that, you know, we're going to start the individual level, but my vision is, is to build better leaders who build better teams, who build better communities. Right. And I think that community is probably the, uh, you know, the key word in life. The older I get, the more I, I understand how important community is, um, whether it's team guys, whether it's my neighborhood. I mean, just community is, is, is important, especially in, in today's trying times, right? Um, but yeah, so I mean, our mission, and I'm paraphrasing here, but it's like, you know, we're trying to light new paths of discovery as an individual, um, as for your teams, for your organizations. And I primarily am, am, am trying to target organizations because I believe that teams are what makes the world go round. Um, and every organization thrives from, from effective teamwork. But, you know, is be able to, to light the way for, you know, new discovery, um, but then guide, guide those individuals, guide those teams, guide those organizations toward true interdependent collaboration uh, and we do that through strengths-based, inclusion-focused, mission-oriented training uh, that's both at the individual and the team development level. Now, serving others is, at the end of the day, you're learning about yourself, right? You're learning about innate talents that, res- that reside in you uh, and how to shape them into strengths, how to, focus, how to focus on strengths instead of areas of weakness, right? understand that in those areas of weakness is that, yeah, you got to be competent in what you're doing as well. So building competency, turning talents into strengths, and just learning where you as an individual, what value add you are, because everybody's unique, right? So what value add you are at the team level? Um, And I think once you start including people based on talents, right, value add, you man, there's just, there's so many directions you can go, right? The roles expand, the ability to just process and execute expands. Um, And I would say from an organizational perspective, which is who I I target, 
Um, it's yeah, we're going to help you. We're going to help your individuals learn your employees, learn something about them. We're going to make them more engaged because they're going to be brought into the fold. And when you have more engagement as individuals, you have more engagement as teams. And when you have more engagement as teams, the ROI on the backside, however you want to see it is going to be through the roof. Yeah, I love it, man. Uh, I'm fired up about the work that you're doing. Incredible alignment with me and how I see making a difference. Um, so all I can say is good luck. I think there's a <laughs> lot of folks that you can serve in that space. And I'm excited to see another veteran stepping into it. Um, you know, because what I'm hearing is that uh, it's about self-awareness for you. Um, and then once that self-awareness can be achieved, how do we guide them through performance and around that um you know i mean at, at the simplest form i think what i'm saying is and i've seen this with a lot of the clients i served um we'll keep it simple hey i want to be a knife really bad i've always wanted to be a knife right uh i want to cut things hey man well check it out dude you're you're not really good at being a knife but you're really good at being a spoon right <laughs> And so let's, let's stop running into all the frustration associated with trying to be something that's not catering to your strengths. Cause here's the problem with that. In my opinion, you can probably still cut some shit up as a knife, but it's going to take a lot of energy. Right. And I think in this world, we're all fighting. How can I maximize my use of energy? So why not be the spoon? Because it's easier and it's your natural predisposition, but sometimes we can't get out of our own damn way. Because maybe for some reason in your own mind, well, being a spoon isn't real cool, right? And so I think in simplest terms, that's what I'm hearing from you. And I think that's spot on. Now, not all yeah. organizations are open to that conversation. Yeah. And, and when your teammates know that you're the spoon, when it's time to apply the spoon, you're the person that they go to, right? And that's yeah. the beauty of being, being, that's the beauty of teamwork is everybody has to, everybody stands up when the moment calls for it, uh, and especially in high-performing teams, to be the leader. Um, sure. There's going to be there's going to be time for a knife, a spoon, a fork, maybe a spork, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and and with some with some own self-disclosure here, like I don't know that I realized this as a young uh, member in the military. I think that my 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 view, the lens that I I viewed was, well, I have to be the Swiss Army knife. I have to be good at everything. And I would say that when we take on that perspective, there's an opportunity to underperform, right? The greatest companies hire to their weaknesses and build their teams around because they have deep awareness in that. So um, I'm thrilled for you, man. No, you hit the nail on the head. Yeah. Well, thank you. That, yeah. I hope that folks listening consider partnering with you as they move forward. Um, hey, man, let's talk a little bit about high performance. I think it's a word that I absolutely use. I mean, my vision statement for my work is simple, to inspire high performance. My intent of this show is to do that too. But who gives a crap about what the hell I think? I'm not the guest today. The beautiful thing about this is a guy like you on here and just getting your perspective. So when you think about the word high performance, my guess is that you've told yourself, hey, I performed at a high level today in this particular event or on this deployment or in this role. But do you have a have you ever considered how you define that or how we unpack that word? Because for me, it's almost like strategy when I first started to think about it. People would say, Oh, yeah, let's come, let's, let's put together a strategy. And what I'll tell you, man, is I was not that dude in the military. I'm the executor. If you want me to be talk about strategy, I'm gonna fall over dead. 
I'm not good at it, right? And it was like this aloof word. High performance like that was me for a while too, until I really dug in and said, hey, people want to know what this means, in my opinion. So any thoughts, man, that you'd share when you hear those yes. words? Yeah, absolutely. So, so I, this, you know, I, I'm a self-proclaimed nerd at, time, at times, and I do a lot of reading. So like I have read if there's a book on high performance, specifically high performance teams, I've read it, right? Uh, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to roll back to, to a, a definition. And, I, and I've got to say is, is I'm, a, I'm an affiliate of a company called the Submarine Way. Um, and the Submarine Way is a company uh, founded by uh, two people, John Gregory Vincent and Deb Kate Fortin. And they've got a couple of books. Um, but John was a command master chief uh, in the Navy. Um, retired, spent probably 14 to 15 years of his of his time on submarines. And, you know, they specialize in diversity, equity, and inclusion leadership training um, based with which is strengths-based. And, and I'm, I'm an affiliate of their company. And I have, you know, my, my company, Southern Cross, teaches their course offerings, uh, some of their course, course offerings as well. But John, and I'm going to allude to John here, he has a term in his training and he, he calls it it's crew immunity, right? So crew immunity. Um, and then you'll, you'll start seeing how the things <laughs> roll around. But crew immunity, basically in layman's terms, right? It's a collective working inter interdependently and collaboratively with hyper-focus on the mission goal or, or result, right? And for me, I think crew immunity is my definition of high performance, right? Just knowing what I know about high-performing teams and what the true... Uh, scientific elements, uh, if you want to look at research out there, what they call for. I think John has done a fantastic job of basically summing it up with one word being crew immunity. Um, and I say that because to me, teams are better than individuals, right? And the key is understanding that a group of high-performing individuals doesn't necessarily make for a high-performing team, right? Not to say that team's not going to be effective, um, I mean, in my career in Marsoc, I was, I, I had been with eight teams. Uh, two of those were staff-based, staff-based teams, right? But a team nonetheless, and, and six were operational Marine Special Operations teams. Two, I would say two of those eight teams were high-performing. Gotcha. Doesn't, doesn't mean the other six weren't highly effective, but there's a difference, right? And, and you know, there, there are elements to it. Um, and I think the word crew immunity really, really sums that up. Love it, man. And so I, I love this idea. That's why I love having people on here, man. Like I never would have thought for a second that your perspective on, on the word high performance, um, it's does, it doesn't start with the individual. It, it applies to the collective team. And I love that thought because I think that for the most part, that's what we're all doing. We're working or walking through life in community with someone else either in a home uh, as a husband wife team as you know as somebody's partner uh, someone's teammate or even in the workplace so appreciate you sharing your thoughts on that you talked about your teams in the marines and so again i want to talk a little tactically here with with a reflection on your time in service and i just would be curious are there any habits that you think that the marines taught you maybe the word indoctrinated you into is a stronger and more applicable one but i mean seriously here i mean you don't stay for 18 years unless there's something there that you really love and it becomes the extension of just who you are um i know without a doubt 
There's things from the army that I still do today that I argue allow me to do and serve and work at a really high level. Um, and this is another reason why people listen to the show to get a perspective. So Garrett, any habits that you still practice today from the Marines that you say, this allows me to do things really well? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, there's, 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 there's so many, uh, I mean, the Marine Corps is a culture, right? I mean, it is a, it is a definitive culture. And the, the funny thing is, is you can meet Marines that you never served with and there's still this, you know, this nesting of, of the way you, your perspective and the way you see and emote. Um, but I do have a couple of things and I, I would say that, for me, I would say first and foremost is, is that, um, so actually, and it's the, I think it's the Navy and Marine Corps, um, I think, because they're very congruent. Uh, the first leadership principles always resonated with me, and that's know yourself and seek improvement, right? And I, you know, I think the Marine Corps, and we, we just talked about this, right? I talk about the importance of self-awareness, right? As a leader, like, you have to know yourself and understand those areas of weakness and where you need to be, where you need to seek improvement, whether that's tactical or technical proficiency, um, whether that's accountability, you know, there's just areas where you're always going to be able to grow. And for me, it's like leadership is life and life is growth. So know yourself and seek improvement. I mean, I've, I've said it three times probably now I'm a lifelong learner. So I take that like, and I, I run with it sometimes too much. <laughs> uh, I would say another thing is trust in teammates. Um, you know, trust in teammates. You can't have a team without the foundation of trust. Um, and I've been fortunate to, to be side by side with some of, you know, America's finest as you have as well. Um, but that doesn't denigrate the, the idea of a team at the bank down the street or the team that runs a church in your in your community or or wherever right like i mean sure. teams are teams and you got to trust in your teammates um and you got to have it you got to build that foundation of trust because that foundation of trust is what's going to first off it's the basis for all genuine relationships right but it sets the conditions for conflict resolution commitment accountability just everything so having trust trust in teammates um, values. You mentioned it earlier. So values, you know, the Navy Marine Corps, the values are honor, courage, honor, courage, and commitment. So honestly, being a, being a sailor and then, a, and then a, ultimately a Marine, that was the first time that I felt from a values perspective that I was truly part of something bigger. And you mentioned having values before and understanding your values um, and how that can help you shape and understand what your purpose is in the next chapter. And I absolutely agree with you, right? It's something that I actually harp on uh, in some of the training that I provide. And that's the importance of values, not only, not just personal values, because we're going to get there, but being committed to and invested in the organization that you belong to, whatever that is, if it's a football team, if it's um, your work, whatever it is, but being in, committed to and invested in their values and then understanding the alignment of your personal values and how that shapes your leadership philosophy as an individual, right? So values are huge. Um, and I would have never, like, that was when I understood that I was a part of something bigger. Um, and then I got to say, I got to say humor, right? There's not. <laughs> There's nothing like, uh, 
I can't speak for the the army. I can't speak. Well, I can speak for the navy, and I can tell you it's not the same as Marine Corps humor. Uh, but the humor that exists out there, I was honestly there were two things that I thought that I was going to to miss the most in transition to civilian life, and that was team camaraderie because I assumed that I was never going to find that again in teams, and you know that's obviously not the case. Uh, and then sense of humor, right? There's a definitive sense of humor that Marines have that is that is insanely dark at times, <laughs> but but for the most part, it's there's a lot of self-deprecation, and that is honestly that's something that I've taken forward, right? Like you know, I that's I, I am self-deprecating in a manner, and this is me making fun of myself, but it's also me showing you my authenticity, my vulnerabilities, and my genuineness of who I am, right? Um, and I used to never think that that was going to translate over, but lo, hey, lo and behold, I've, I've, I've read this. Um, so it's got to be true, right? It's on the internet. Um, is that self-deprecating humor is actually a sign of, of, of fairly high emotional intelligence. And that's a, that's a leadership quality, right? <laughs> who would have who thought it? Absolutely, man. Um, so thanks yeah, for sharing. Okay. That's thanks, it. For, yeah. thanks for sharing the four habits that uh, that you attribute to your time in service, and we'll say Marines and Navy. And I, I forget; I continue to just call you a Marine, but you are a a, 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 a member of the Navy too. So, um, number one, uh, know yourself and seek improvement. Number two, trust teammates. Number three, values, uh, because in my opinion, that's what's going to drive acceptable behavior for yourself and for the organization that you're in and organization being loosely defined, family. You got, I mean, I've got family values, um, but we're also talking about in the workplace and then humor. So appreciate you sharing that, man. Um, yep. Because you spent so much time managing others um, and managing projects, I'd love for you to reflect on, hey, as a manager, here's some of the things that, that I need to do really well uh, to be effective. And if not you, managers you've worked for. So just some insight, man, to, to management and what habits high-performing managers practice. Anything? To yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I would say that, you know, I think we, we, we've made a determination that leadership and management is different, right? But I, I would say high-performing managers, um, I, would, I think, so effective managers are effective managers. I think effective managers are people that are adaptable. Uh, they're sound communicators, you know, people that understand the importance of celebrating success, uh, learning from failures and, and doing what managers should do, which is manage processes and things, right? Uh, is that they provide timely and actionable feedback, uh, specifically coaching team members to build better competency, right? Now that's effective. What I would say, high-performing managers, they are people that are aware of their talents, right? And we've talked about building a having a strengths-based approach. You know, they they are aware of their talents. They are trying to turn those talents into into strengths, uh, and they're also fully aware of of their areas of weakness. But they're not trying to turn them into strengths, right? They're just trying to be focused. On, on turning those weaknesses and becoming highly competent in those areas, right? Focusing on strengths, right? Fo understanding the fact that I'm a spoon, since we talked about it, <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the best damn spoon I can be, but I got to be a competent knife because at some point in time, there's going to be the required, the, you know, 
I'm going to be required to cut something. So I do have to have competency there. And I think high-performing managers are people that understand those differences. Effective can do all the other things that good managers should do. And not to say that managing isn't about people, but it's more about performance and, and people's actions in relation to goal, goal accomplishment. Love it, man. Uh, I like the way that you kind of built that out. You say, hey, look, an effective manager looks like this. And you name a number of incredible things. You were, you were rattling them off. I didn't get them all, but you, you highlighted that effective managers are adaptable. They're great communicators. They provide timely and accurate feedback. And then they have this orientation of driving performance. Um, but a high performing manager does all of that really well. But they also practice, you know, going back to what you said two minutes ago, self-awareness. And they're deeply aware of what they're good at. And they're deeply aware of what they're not good at. And they use that to inform their decision-making and how they manage. Beautiful, yeah. man. Well said. Um, Thank you. Yeah, man, I think I really just have one additional question. And you may say, hey, Court, man, we've already talked about this and I beat it to death. <laughs> um, but, you know, you talked about the eight teams you were a part of two of which you considered to be high-performing. The other ones, you know, were probably great teams. You didn't say they were train wrecks, but you have two vivid experiences of two great teams that you were a part of. Maybe even you led, I don't know. Um, but can you share what, what, were, what were some habits of that team and what made that two teams maybe different than the other six? So what I'm getting at here is the collective team, right? What makes collections of people do things really well? from a habit perspective. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned it earlier is when you can be a team and you've got to consider there's multiple multiple looks at how at, at teams. It can be a partnership, right? A, a husband and wife is a partnership. So thinking in terms of that, right? Partnership is, so for me as, as what I think, um, and this is also, you know, this is um, some information, some of this is, interspersed with information from a book that's uh, called by Mario Musa. I want to say it's actually called High Performance Teams. Um, but high-performing teams, for one, they're disciplined in action, right? So they, and we've used the term that we use in crew community, which is hyper-focused. So they're hyper-focused on mission, goal, or objective accomplishment. Um, there's interdependence, right? Like they understand the importance of working interdependently and collaboratively, and they, being interdependent and collaborative, um, high-performing teams, in my mind, they, they set common, you know, they work on common set of demanding performance measures. So when you are trying to get to, yes, the team comes up with the performance measures to get to yes. It's not an individual that's saying, this is how you, this is your line of effort, go forth and do great things. The team is determining that. And then they're also defining the common working approaches for that goal accomplishment. It's a collective. This is a, a group working together. There's conflict that's going to be involved in that. Um, there's going to be uh, back and forth, but it's healthy, right? They understand the, the importance of the end state so it's, it's healthy. They hold themselves mutually accountable, right? I think that's huge, mutual accountability, um, starting with individuals, starting with self, and then, and then holding others accountable. And then rinse and repeat, and you do this over and over again. I would say that in addition to those, if there's one other thing that really forms the foundation of uh, 
of a, a habit for a high-performing team is that they genuinely care about each other, right? I think high-performing, I've been on teams where, hey, like, you know, the team, the, somebody's having a barbecue at their house and, you know, a lot of people show up, but not a, not a single member of the team actually go, goes to the barbecue of the teammate, right? But then there's teams where, like, the only people that go, it's the team. It's yeah. the wives of the team members, right? And I think that research shows that high-performing teams, like they, they do things together outside of working hours. And guess what? They can still talk about work outside of working hours, but it's not really work because it's, it's just how they're invested in one another. They genuinely care. Um, and I think that's one of the trademarks. Yeah, man, I love it. Um, I got seven things, seven habits of high-performing teams coming from my man Garrett here. Uh, number one, they generally care about each other. Uh, number two, um, there's a mutual accountability, which I think what I'm hearing there is that they hold one another accountable. Um, number three, um, there's a common working approach. Number four, they have a common uh, shared way of measuring performance which I want to come back to this one because I think I want to challenge this a little bit. So I want to learn more about this uh, just for clarity for my own uh, learning. Uh, they're collaborative and they are interdependent. Um, they're hyper-focused on a mission and or a goal and they're disciplined. So those are the seven things that I heard from a head perspective. So I, I just want a little bit of clarity around they have a common measured performance. And, and I'll, I'll ask this with a question. Does the team have a shared um, metric or are we as opposed to individual measures of performance? Because that's a little bit of what I'm hearing in that. And, and I would challenge that. I think that's actually uh, what makes teams ineffective because when everyone's responsible, no one's responsible would be my response. So if there's a, a sales team that has a quota of a million dollars, and I, I, I know this, my brothers do a lot of sales and they crush it. And there's what they call a pod, right? Like as long as us together get a million dollars this quarter, we've got success. But if one dude's delivering 75, you know, or 750,000 and one's not, I mean, I, there's no way I'm going to say there's parity and that entire team is performing at a high level. So I guess I'm challenging it from what I'm interpreting in it. Or maybe I've interpreted yeah. wrong. So, yeah. So what you were saying is I agree with 100%. So what I mean by that is, so there are individual metrics, right? And that's where that mutual accountability comes in. Like everybody has a role towards success and those roles should be complementary. They should be taking talents and competencies and complementing everyone in order for success, right? So everybody will have an individual metric of what success looks like for them. And if they don't get there, their teammates need to hold them accountable if they can't, they can't hold themselves accountable. What I mean by there is a shared approach, but what I say from a, from a collective standpoint is, is that they are collectively determining what the best performance measures look like to get Oh yeah. To the ends, to the end home, state. Home right? run, man. I'm on board big time. And that, that's what I would argue. That's the transparency that comes from an annual planning meeting that defines what that looks like. And then a quarterly review that's, that's programmed. And it's not just me and my boss. 
Although I am an advocate that that one-on-one -on -one, me and my boss has to happen for a high-performing team. So I know where I stand, but that I'm also collectively, in, like you're talking about here, you know, I, I know what, what, what Jamal's yes. required to deliver on, even though he doesn't work for me. It's that team transparency I think is really healthy. So cool, man. Thank you for allowing me to unpack that a little bit because yeah, absolutely. I'll tell you, you know, guys like me and you wouldn't have work if a lot of people don't actually think that, oh, you know what? We don't really have goals as individuals. We just got a team goal, bro. I got five clients yeah. that, that have that approach and they're wondering why they can't perform at eye level or they're struggling. Like, well, how do I address the underperformance of this teammate? Well, if the teammate doesn't have a, a, a metric they're responsible for, there's your start point, man. Yeah, So exactly. Thanks for, 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 for unpacking that for me. No, thank, thanks for challenging me. Cause I was like, Oh man, did I, did I not say what I thought I said? <laughs> <laughs> hey man, last question for get you back into your day. Um, what are you excited about? You know, as we close out the year and you look forward to the next, cause if I understand it right, this is going to be that first full year for you, 2021 as a retired veteran, man. Yeah, so I, I will tell you first and foremost um, is reconnecting with my family. Uh, I've got two small kids. Uh, my daughter uh, experienced uh, in, in a short period of time, I think set six or seven deployments. My son, who's only six, uh, experienced uh, three, I believe. Um, so it's reconnecting with family. I, I missed out on a lot. Obviously, there were challenges involved uh, in, in relationships as well. Um, so I really wanted, um, it's one of the reasons why I made that 180 degree shift too, right? I didn't feel that it was appropriate for me to basically just jump into another fight, whatever that fight was from a Monday through Friday perspective and not do my due diligence and put my priorities where they should be. So family, uh, reconnecting with family and being there. Um, the bus stop is literally outside my house. I love being able to put my kids on the bus in the morning when they do go to school right now and being there in the afternoon when they get off. Um, the next would be building out uh, our company. So, you know, uh, you know, Herald Squared Consulting is an umbrella, is basically an umbrella corporation or, or LLC for a couple of things. My wife has her own business that she does. Um, she specializes in designing uh uh, furniture and, and other types of things for, for clients. And then Southern Cross Leadership Solutions is another we're doing business as under that, but really building that out. And we decided to do that too. Uh, Harold Squared is my wife and I, like it's a, it's a family affair. Um, this is us uh, against the world. So we're going to do everything we can to, to make sure that that is successful. Um, and really, honestly, it's just about being impactful. Like I, I'm not looking, you know, I just want to take what I have learned sometimes the hard way, a lot of the times the hard way and be impactful for others. If I can, man, if I can change one person's mindset and, and they change their behavior for the better then like their success, right? So being impactful. Um, I'm also a coach for the Resilience Building Leadership Program, uh, which is a fairly new company. Uh, and they are uh, providing leadership training to individuals um, in three different levels, depending on whether they serve as frontline managers, mid-level mid managers, or senior executives. Um, and I, I do coach them. It's very well nested in my affiliation with Submarine Way and my own company, Southern Cross. Um, but, but, but again, it's, talk, it's talking about leadership with people and having 
just you know insanely uh, deep conversations about that stuff, which I I, I do enjoy, uh, and because I got to have my hands in everything, right? <laughs> is elite me? Like I, I believe in elite me. I really want to help elite me. Um, as long as I can help them, I will help them. And uh, yeah, just you know, shape things for other people, and 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 all of us learn from one another. And that's kind of you know, if I if I can be successful in at least one of those over the next year, then I've been successful. <laughs> Hopefully, it's priority number one, which is reconnecting with my family. Yeah, man, I love it. So much going on in your mind, man. Um, it's you know, one one chapter of life is closing, and this second season. Uh, you're running into full steam. So good luck, man. Um, I'm happy for you. I'm proud of the work that you're doing because I think it really makes a big difference on others. So good freaking luck. Uh, I think that's a wrap on the show, Garrett. It was a joy having you. Um, I just want to invite you as we close out to, to lead us through the High Performance Pathways Breakdown. And uh, you said you listened to a show or two but I don't know that people make it this far because most people know when I get to this point, uh, we're, we're wrapping up on the great content and just getting a laugh or two. But uh, here's how it goes, man. I'm going to say breakdown on three. I'll count one, two, three. And that's your invite to give us three claps and then followed by the words, boom, shakalaka. Any questions, man? Can you handle that? I can handle that. No questions. All right, man. Breaking us out here on High Performance Pathways is my brother in arms, uh, Garrett with an incredible perspective on leadership, with some thoughts on transition, and really just encourage folks to make a difference and impact on others. Break us down on three, my friend. One, two, three. Boom shakalaka. Hey, if I can say one last thing, times are, are challenging. We're full of uncertainty. I just want everybody to remember, all of us are always better than one of us. Everybody brings value um, to the team, and just remember that. I want to thank you, Court. Yeah, man. It's my pleasure. Um, and let's stay connected in a way that makes sense. Hey, for everybody else listening that uh, enjoyed this conversation, connect with Garrett. I encourage you to find him in two spots. LinkedIn at Garrett Harrell. That's G-A-R-R-E-T Harrell, H-A-R-R-E-L-L. Uh, or just jump on his website, southerncrosscrew.com. Now get out there, folks. Consider what Garrett shared today. Allow it to inspire you in whatever capacity you're serving, right? That could be in the workplace or it could be in your own home and chase our performance in your life. We'll talk to everyone again next week. Bye.